there's a lot of opportunities out there, but you do need to do your due diligence. You need to be smart about where you're placing your money. So you should definitely be thinking through all of the pieces on who you're going to work with. If you're not conscious about your investment strategy, you won't end up where you want to be, not financially or as a human. On this show, we interview highly successful investors and share how they overcame limitations to become unstoppable forces of success. If you're ready to learn what it is to be a conscious investor so you can end up where you want, keep listening. Welcome back, Conscious Investor. I am absolutely excited. This is a topic. Being laid off is something that happens. It happens as our economy shifts and as companies are making huge transitions in their own growth process layoffs actually do take place. A company could be expanding, a company could be contracting, and that can affect your direct department. And today I have a very good friend of mine and a business partner who is joining me on the episode, and she has used real estate to help her through a lot of different transitions from being laid off to having children and things like that. Her real estate portfolio has really supported her through these variety of transitions. Now, one of the reasons why I wanted to mention this layoff part from the very get-go is because my friends just launched a new podcast. And you know, Conscious Investor, I love supporting my friends. So I want to encourage you to go check out Drunk Real Estate. I know it's a fun title and everything like that. And I'm not saying go get drunk. Please remember, always be safe (laughs) in control of your faculties and your thinking and everything. The conversations they have on that podcast, it's my friend Jay Scott, Mauricio Rold, Kyle, and AJ Osborne. They have their mastermind brains together. And they didn't even ask me to say anything about their podcast, but I saw Jay Scott post this on social media. I started listening to it and they were talking about the economy. And this is what I like about the pool of their minds is that they come from a variety of philosophies and thinking and background and experience. And what caught me in particular was their insight and knowledge. Jay Scott, he has such a great understanding of the economy and the dynamics that affect and influence the change that we see in our investing. And so I want to encourage you to go check out my friend's podcast, Drunk Real Estate. And in episode number seven, because it's still a new podcast, in episode number seven, they're actually talking about layoffs. And what's going to cause that? And so this is a very complimentary episode with a real life person who's used real estate investing to help support during those transitions. So let's dive in. Rebecca, thank you so much for being a great friend, a business partner, and thank you for joining me on The Conscious Investor. Yes. Thank you for inviting me. It is so good to be here. And I have been so grateful for our time together over the last, gosh, six or seven months getting to work together. You've just been an inspiration to me and I love your podcast. So thanks for inviting me. Thank you. Yeah. It's just been absolute pure joy. I'm curious, like, let's talk about your real estate journey. In general, I don't ask people say, Hey, tell me the backstory, but you and your husband, which is always great when we have husband, wife duos that are investing together Talk to us about what was the impetus from the very get-go to begin investing in real estate. What did that look like? And then we'll go into maybe how it transitioned. Absolutely. So I learned initially from my dad. He is out in Montana. He started investing in real estate back in 2004. He had been a pastor for almost 30 years and money was always really tight growing up. There's five kids in my family. And I remember he was always trying to find ways to make ends meet, to feed us, literally. 
And so he was just trying all these different things. And some of them were successful. Some of them weren't. Then in 2004, he stumbled into real estate and started investing slowly. I mean, it took time to build a portfolio, but he has done phenomenal, made millions many times over. And that has been life-changing for them. Just made such a huge difference in their quality of life and just getting to do so much more, enjoy grandkids and traveling. And it's been really cool to see his growth. And so all along, he'd been pushing my husband and I get into real estate. This is where it's at. This is a great place to put your money. And so we finally bought our first rental in 2012 and we were encouraged. We're like, wow, okay. So this does work. We started to see cash flow, and it was a really cool kind of journey to walk through like property management. And it was a lot of work obviously, but we learned a lot along the way. And so all while doing our full-time W2 jobs, I worked in tech for 10 years doing sales and marketing, did really well in that space, made good money, traveled all over the place for my job. I enjoyed it but slowly got kind of burnt out as we started to have kids in 2016. I realized, man, this is hard to balance with my travel, sometimes really long work weeks, these sales quotas every month. I'm stressed. And so we had been saving up money, putting money aside. We paid off our mortgage before I turned 30 and had a great quality of life in the sense of like our finances were in good condition. But we realized, man, we have all of this equity in our home and all this money we're sitting on. Like, why don't we do more with it? Why don't we, you know, go out and buy more real estate? And so Back in 2020, I left my job in tech. I was like, I'm done. I'm tired. I'm ready to move on. And so I able to take a three-month sabbatical. We traveled around the country with a camper in tow and our two young kids and explored and dreamed. And I realized real estate's really, I think, what I want to pursue full-time. And so came back, got my real estate license as a realtor, and we bought more rental properties. And then I stumbled into passive investing through syndications. And so I've been at two different firms the last couple of years learning and growing in that space and just learning, investing money passively as well. So I've gotten to have kind of both sides of the coin with real estate, the active and the passive side. And it's just been a really cool journey along the way. Oh, that's absolutely phenomenal. One thing that always stands out to me is that so many of us in the syndication space start out as single family investors or small multifamily, the duplex, the quad, that type thing. And then we transition into syndications and investing passively in these large multimillion dollar real estate purchases. One of the elements that so many people seem to struggle with is that element of control. Like, I own that house at 123 Main Street, and that's my house, and that's my resident and everything. And relinquishing that level of sole ownership in maybe a two to $400,000 piece of real estate that's yours into something that is, I own a fraction of this multi-million dollar complex or facility, Right. How did you reconcile, you and your husband, how did you reconcile the element of control as you started building your passive portfolio? Oh, that's a good question. It is hard for sure. I'm kind of a controlling person, so this is not easy for me. But I think one of the big couple things that we realize is our time is super valuable and we have kids at home. We want to be as 
present as possible. And so being able to really think through like our time and how much is our time worth? And I can pay a property manager to manage my properties locally and they do a fantastic job and occasionally still have to get involved. I had my property manager email me yesterday about a tenant that's not paid. And so we're working through if we're gonna have to evict, that's not fun, but they're Mm -hmm. taking care of that, which I'm glad I'm not having to be at a court and deal with all of that mess. And so hopefully that doesn't go through. But from the passive side, it's just so much more hands-off. I don't have to be involved in the day-to-day as a pass as an LP in a deal. And I just love the fact that my money is working for me while I sleep. And I think the other really important part is finding the best of the best group, the sponsor that you're working with. Like you can't trust mm-hmm. everybody. Unfortunately, we've seen some rough things happen the last couple of years with people making yeah. not the best choices on this front, taking out bad day. Like there's a lot that has happened. They had good intentions. And I don't think it was most of them not out of ill will, but unfortunately there has been some challenges along the way. So I think looking at their track record, looking at who you are placing your money with, there's just so much that you need to dive into when you're making those decisions. And so for me, as we've had those partners that we've been able to work with, it's given me a lot of peace with giving up some of that control versus holding onto it and doing it all myself. I really appreciate that, how you phrased that, because I can recognize that. And I think you actually unearthed something, a new way for me to express that. And this is, and maybe I won't be able to, as I'm stumbling over my words here. (laughs) Sorry, conscious investor. I'm also distracted. I have a gorgeous hummingbird outside my window that is just coming and staring at me and that never happens. So let me refocus on, on this. I'm like, it's beautiful. Hummingbirds are amazing. All this to say is that when we're handing over that control, I've been starting to reconcile or reflect on these people have more experience, more knowledge. They have more than I have as a single individual, not just, let's just say that if they were just a single individual that I was investing with passively, maybe we're like kind, maybe we're like tit for tat. But if I'm investing with a team of four strong investors, I'm not going to outperform them on my own. More than likely, their brains are going to create this mastermind, literally Napoleon Hill style mastermind, where it's really going to create and yield substantial results that are greater than what I'm going to be able to do on my own. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Mm, That's interesting. We were talking off air about, I mean, passive investments take time. So one of the beauties of Hey, if I go and buy one, two, three Main Street, great. I own it. I get the cash flow. I have all the responsibility, the liability, everything about that is mine. When we invest passively, we're really planting seeds. And your portfolio, your real estate portfolio, really has different types of investments in it. How has that helped you through the different transitions? Yeah, absolutely. So, both sides, my active portfolio versus my passive definitely have different returns. And you're exactly right. Like the passive, some of those are starting pretty low. I mean, I've done a couple multifamily deals the last year, year and a half, like one out in Glendale, Arizona, one in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. And the cash flow right now is pretty minimal, just getting mm-hmm. started. And so it's not necessarily enough to go and live off of, but I know that the long term growth and appreciation at the point when we sell, I'll see a good return on my money. But from the active side, I have a lot more control of those properties. Some of those I got with really great interest rates. 
I have some units cashing like $500 a door, which is pretty strong, that's you know, substantial. So that's right. been nice. Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, I think it really depends on again, your time and what you're looking for. They've been both very helpful. I mean, we have like a fund of funds that we've invested in and I see consistent seven and a half percent every single month coming from that. It's just like clockwork. They do a good job of sending that to us on a regular basis. And so mm-hmm. those have been more helpful. We've done a few other investments outside of real estate. We had invested in like a small business, a promissory note, we lended them some money. So that was consistent. And that certainly helped. Recently, we just got into lending. We have a flipper here in town that we've done a lot of due diligence on, and she is just doing phenomenal work here in our city. We love what she's doing. And so we've lent her some money and we'll see some good return on that as well. So it's kind of a mix in the sense of when I was let go from my job, it was not ideal. Obviously, nobody wants to go through a job loss, but we did have like pretty wide net, I guess, in terms of the different investments that we've done. We didn't have all of our money in one place or Mm -hmm. one property we have it spread out a little bit. And so I think that's been tremendously helpful. And again, I think it just depends on your situation and which route you want to take. If you don't have the time, then the passive route really does make a lot of sense. But just keeping in mind that it does take time. It doesn't happen overnight. Most of them are not cash flowing eight or 10% right out of the gates. Now there have been some that I've seen, but it's harder to find. And so I think it just depends on your situation and what you're looking for, your goals and where you want to go with it. I don't Mm. think that question very well, but. (laughs) Oh, no, I think that answered the question really well because answered it in a candid way, which is great. And what that really reveals to me, a conscious investor, maybe you notice this, is that we have to invest. And you hear me talk about this on a regular basis. We have to diversify our portfolio. And you might not want to have anything active. In fact, conscious investor, I know many of you and I love my job. I want to stay here. But when you're looking at your passive portfolio, diversifying that passive portfolio so that it's spitting off different types of returns along the way. And so maybe there's a fund to funds involved and maybe there's different geographical, like different markets involved. Maybe you have some holdings in the Sun Belt and you have holdings in the Midwest. Just really, truly diversifying the investment portfolio can be very advantageous. That's what I'm getting from what you were saying. Yes, exactly right. That's been helpful for us along the way. And we're still thinking about, like we just invested in an assisted living deal. And Julie knows all about that. And I'm really excited about that. So I think there's a lot of opportunities out there, but you do need to do your due diligence. You need to be smart about where you're placing your money. I've unfortunately seen some people that just place money because they trust someone. They're like-minded, which I don't think is a bad thing. You definitely should trust someone, but also do your due diligence. There's a lot of work involved when you're looking at where you're going to place that $50,000, $100,000. It's your time mm-hmm. and money. And so you should definitely be thinking through all of the pieces on who you're going to work with. Mm. So when you and your husband have evaluated different deals and different teams, what are some of the top three things that you would say, conscious investor, you need to be wide-eyed. These are things you need to be looking for or asking. Like, We'll just take the top three. Oh gosh, there's a lot. I'm trying to think Exactly. About. That's why I'm like, <laughs> I am limiting you to the top three because there are so many. <laughs> there's so many. I mean, I think a big one is track record. If you can really... Mm-hmm. Find out their track record. If they've had some successful exits, that's really helpful. They've only been in business for a year or two. 
I'd be a little bit more concerned unless they are partnering with people that have been around a really long time so that you can see that the track record of the partners that they're working with. For me, that's my situation. I'm newer in business, but I partner with people that have been around for a long time. And so their track record, that's extremely important before I would partner with them. Seeing those successful exits, are they doing what they say they're going to do? Because you can talk all day and say, this is what we're projecting, but so often we see people overpromise and underdeliver, and I would like to see it the other way. So I think that's a right. big one. If you can get feedback from other investors that have worked with them, I think that's also important. In my last two roles, I was a director of investor relations. So I talked to investors all day long. I sometimes had 12 calls a day with prospective investors. And one of the things mm-hmm. that occasionally people would ask is, can I talk to some of your other investors? And I just think that's really helpful to get some background and experience from other people. Again, that honesty is really good. And then just doing a lot of research on them online. I mean, there's a lot out there on the web. So being able to find out everything you can online, I think is great. A lot of times we'll do background checks and make sure that that operator on the ground is clean, that they don't have any background with the legal issues. I think that's important as well. No bankruptcy, that they have a long track record just personally, that they've been in this business for a while too, because a lot of times we start on our own, again, doing our own active investments and then transition to something a little bit larger. So I think that's really nice. People that have only been in real estate a year, again, I'd be like, huh, that's not very long. So I think having the length of time is super important. Oh gosh, there's a lot more, but we'll keep it right there. (laughs) Hey, conscious investor. Often the well-intentioned hardwiring of our past prevents us from moving forward at full capacity. We doubt ourselves. We remind ourselves of who we were told we were instead of discovering who we were created to be. We lack courage to move into the life we're meant to lead. And often, instead of stepping into our full potential, many find themselves living a masked life, concerned with other people's expectations and opinions of their lives. Conscious performance coaching clients discover their potential is far more than they anticipated. Through Conscious Performance Coaching, you will connect with your potential, gain lasting momentum, collapse your timelines, and well, hey, every day feels like play. Stop playing small and step into your full potential. Join the ranks of those who have stepped into their dreams, launched successful businesses, and become unstoppable forces of success. Click the link in the show notes and apply for a free coaching session today. Well, I know that this is really helpful for the conscious investor. I mean, they're navigating this landscape and always looking. We hear these different conversations on podcasts about what to look for and questions to ask. And it's interesting when you start to piece those together, you can start to see there are some consistent questions that need to be asked. And then there are some of the more boutique questions that are nuanced to every individual and their experiences. And so I think that's what's really helpful. In Conscious Investor, you've heard other people on this podcast and on other podcasts answer that question. I know that because I know you're hungry for that information. And so that's what you want to be looking for. What are the common questions that I'm hearing from these different guests. And when you find those, just write those down and make those your benchmark questions. So then now you know you're comparing apples to apples. If your questions are different with every single call that you're having with different teams, you're not really making a fair comparison. And so when you have a few just standard questions that you are asking, now you know that you're going to be comparing every team in a very equal way. So I think that's extremely helpful. Yeah. I was also going to add, ask them what kind of debt they're taking out on the properties. Again, we've seen some pretty 
tough situations happened in the last year because of a lot of the bridge debt that companies have taken out. So I think just be really ask the hard questions, ask about the debt, ask about what is a worst case scenario? What's your minimum occupancy to make these numbers work? I won't dive into the details, but you just have to be really careful because if they're betting on a certain percentage and then it's too tight, I mean, you just never know. Mm -hmm. Like Markets have shifted a lot in the last year. Things have changed a lot. So I think being super conservative in your underwriting is really vital. Absolutely imperative. It's interesting, and maybe we can have more on a professional conversation here, which conscious investor, I think you'll appreciate. There are different things because you and I've had tremendous experience in the real estate market. It's not just, oh, we just came around and we've been doing this for a few years. I mean, we've got a decade plus of experience within real estate and investing on our own and as syndicators. And so all that, or I should say private equity. So all that to say, I think it's interesting to see how there's always a culprit and there's always this scapegoat in my estimation as to watch out for this. This is the current boogeyman. So for right now, I feel like the current boogeyman is bridge debt. And I feel like it's kind of getting thrown Mm -hmm. under the bus on top of the bus, in front of the bus, it's just getting kind of like, oh my gosh. And instead of investors taking a solid look, more sober look and saying, okay, what is this and how does it function? Oh, wait, it's scary because all these people did that and now it's bad. And so how do you look at, and I'm using bridge debt because that's the current poster child for stay away from this. And I don't think that is helpful to investors because it's not an accurate portrayal of the function and the thinking behind how to use utilize bridge debt correctly. Again, in the past, there have been plenty of other things that take place that people are like, stay away from that. Stay away from class C value add. There's always going to be something in the headlines. So going back, taking this question, because I've been adding my own commentary into my question, I'm certain of. <laughs> so, <laughs> no, it's really good. <laughs> but what would you say to how can the conscious investor navigate whatever the current poster child of stay away from it? What are some of the thoughts that oh they can gosh. have? It's a deep question and conscious yeah. investor, you know, I've never asked anybody that. And I'm not trying to put my good friend Rebecca on the spot. But I know <laughs> your powerhouse, oh. and you have lots of experience that could be helpful. Oh my gosh. This is a hard question. I mean, yeah, you're right. There will always be something that's going to be a flag that we have to really consider. I'm not an expert. I'm not an economist. I'm not a loan guru. My role has not always been, I've looked at the deals and dissected them but there's only so much. I'm not doing as much underwriting as some other team members that I've worked with. I'm more on the investor relations side. So I don't want to portray that I am some expert in this, but I think bridge debt can certainly still be a good tool to use. I mean, I think it's certainly something to consider. You just have to really, really analyze your numbers and where you're going to be at that one or two or three year mark. And obviously we don't know, we can't read the future, but I think a lot of folks the last couple of years have gone into it thinking that the market would stay where it was at, that we wouldn't have changes, that we continue to be at the top. They say like, what is it? Rising tides lifts all boats. But when the water goes out, who's left skinny dipping? I mean, I love that. I'm not saying it the right way, but I love that. I mean, just being really prepared. And I think, unfortunately, 
people haven't been quite as prepared for what could come with rising interest rates. Mm-hmm. Nobody knew that they would skyrocket the way that they have. And so I think when you're doing your underwriting based off the rates not going above 6% or whatever it may be, and then they jump up to eight or nine or whatever percent, you could be left in a tough position if you haven't bought a rate cap. So I think just being prepared and doing everything you can, again, probably buying a rate cap. If you're getting bridge debt, buy a rate cap. It's going to cost some money. We've spent a lot of money on those, but it will be worth it if you don't have to turn around and deal with literally negative cash flow, which is what we're seeing on some of these properties and capital calls or foreclosures. I mean, it's it's really sad. But again, I think there are still options out there for when you can use it. But I also like the fixed debt. I like loan assumptions. I mean, that's I talked to a guy a couple of days ago. We're talking about working together and his focus is on value add properties and loan assumptions. He will not do any deals that aren't value add. He's finding those off market deals where he can assume the loan and he's getting some really phenomenal interest rates, mostly below 5%. And those options I think are going to be more and more prevalent as people might be ready to exit or tired or might just have some underperforming asset that they are ready to offload. So I think just Mm -hmm. being conscious of your different options out there, again, on the debt front, there's a lot of options, a lot of loan products, but you have to have those relationships. You have to have the knowledge. It's a lot. But again, trusting your experts, like Julie said, I mean, you're working with a team that's got a lot of experience. Again, this is the loan side of it is not my expertise, but I know enough about it to ask questions and you should too. You should ask questions. Be really thorough when you're doing your due diligence on the front end and who you're going to work with. You ask really great questions, by the way. I'm always like, oh, that's a great question. Yes. Oh. <laughs> great question. Love it. <laughs> and conscious investor, what really takes place is you'll always have some type of turbulence in any market. You should. There should be a supply-demand issue with something. So right now we're facing the issue with interest rates. Interest rates are going up, right? And then guess what? So that means we're going to have less money available on the lending side. That's going to cause some constriction. And then guess what else is going to happen? At some point, prices are going to go down and drop, but then we won't have the money from the lenders. So there's always this disproportion between these different faculties within investing. And so it's understanding that's okay. It's not a bad thing. It's normal. It's natural. It's common. Either we have a lot of money and we have no inventory to buy, or we have no money, but we have a ton of inventory, or then we have the price issue. So there's always something that's going to be taking place. And we don't want to allow the media and other news outlets to be swaying us in different directions where it makes us feel alarmed or nervous or hesitant. These are normal, natural, and it's important that we understand the mechanics behind things. You don't have to be in the weeds on it. You just need to understand the principles that are guiding and directing things so that you can invest consistently in every single market with confidence. And as you're doing that, you're planting these seeds. I've heard some people say, and I don't know if you've heard this, Rebecca, I've heard some people say that the seeds being planted in the market over the last two years and that those are going to be the strongest seeds in an investment portfolio five years from now. We don't know. We don't have a crystal ball. But the concept is true and prudent. Consistent investing over time is going to yield the results that you are looking for. Absolutely. And I think just not getting scared. I mean, there's been a lot of fear because of these situations. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't be prudent and wise in your decisions, but I love that. I think it's Warren Buffett said that quote, when others are greedy, 
be scared. And when others are scared, be greedy. I mean, I think there's a lot of opportunity coming down the pipeline and there's so much money sitting on the sidelines and sadly being eaten by inflation. And so be thinking through what are these opportunities that are coming my way? And again, diversify, like we've talked about, but don't be scared because there's a lot of really good things coming and already there, but it takes action. The first investment is the hardest. I remember the first hundred thousand that we did. I was like, my husband especially was like, oh my gosh, it's a lot of money to put into a passive deal. Again, we'd already done some active deals. So it wasn't like we hadn't been investing in real estate, but it was definitely hard for him years ago when we did that first one. And I was a little bit like, ah, okay, we're ready for this. I just think, don't be scared. There's going to be a lot to come and there's going to be some really cool things that are going to be there. You just have to take advantage of them and take action. Mm, Every step of the way. I love that. As we wrap up, is there any other advice that you would have for the conscious investor as they're looking at the economy, the conscious investor? I mean, we never know about the certainty of our job, but what investing advice would you have for the conscious investor who just absolutely loves where they work in the industry and they want to make wise investments? Yeah. I mean, I think if you love your job, keep doing it, but definitely live if you can a little bit different so that you're putting more money into investing. Like for a long time, we lived off one salary. We've been a dual income family for, we've been married 15 years. So for many years, we just focus on living on one salary and investing the rest. And that has just done tremendous things for us. It gave me the ability years ago to cut back in my work. I was able to negotiate a shorter work week, which gave me more time with my family, my kids to be a mom. I love that. I understood my value and how to really maximize my time when I was working. I did like my job, but I wanted to be just more present and just have less hours. And so I think really set yourself up so that you can invest as much as possible and set yourself up for a long-term when you are ready to cut back at work. Again, hopefully you always love your job, but there may come a day when you want to cut back your hours or maybe you're laid off. I hope and pray that never happens, but you just want to be ready. And again, that diversification, I think is really good. Having some different options out there, doing as much as you can, I think will make a big difference. And then something just recently on the real estate front, that's kind of obviously where I lean, but I think looking at other asset classes, I've done a lot of multifamily. That's actively how I invest, passively how I invest. I've done some mobile home parks and self-storage. And recently, I've gotten into assisted living. Julie knows all about that. And that's been really exciting to find something a little bit different. It's still multifamily, but it's like a different flavor of it that has some really strong returns, but also the fact that we're getting to make a really big impact in this population, these older folks that they need really good care, but they also need community. And I just love that, that they're getting to be a part of a place that they get to spend these latter years and just love it, enjoy it, be in a good place. And so that's something that I've been working on lately. Julie's been working on, and it's just exciting to see a little bit different asset than what I had done in the past. And I just think there's opportunities out there like that, but you have to get creative. You have to be open-minded. A lot of people are just Mm -hmm. stuck on multifamily, which there's nothing wrong with multifamily. I just think that it's harder to find the returns that you might have seen in the past because of a lot of factors. And so looking outside the box a little bit might open your eyes to some stellar returns, but also impact, which I love that, like having impact in what I'm doing with my time and my money is that much better. It's so much better. I'm so grateful to be in the assisted living space and conscious investor. It's great. I mean, Rebecca and I've been able to partner on the active side together in an assisted living purchase, you know, and it's just 
phenomenal when we can make our money and we can have our investors come in and we can deliver strong returns, but we can also be impacting lives and humanity. And I haven't spent too much time. I will release episodes soon on assisted living. All this to say is that, I mean, that is a real estate niche and asset class that is being underserved at this time. And so for us to be able to go in there and support when a time when we need more assisted living facilities and we have assisted living facilities that are shutting down because the mom and pa owners are tired and they want to retire, right? So to be able to go in there and support and to keep these facilities online with a high level of care is absolutely a substantial opportunity. I'm grateful to be able to bring our investors into those type of opportunities and to partner with people like you, Rebecca. Just amazing. So speaking of active investing on the, hey, I'm bringing in investors, I know the conscious investor is hearing you, they're resonating with you. How can they connect up with you? Yeah, absolutely. I am active on LinkedIn. So definitely connect with me there. You can see my name is spelled a little differently. It's Rebecca Taylor. I think it's 1986. If you look, there's other Rebecca Taylors, but yeah, so definitely connect with me on LinkedIn. My website's tailored, like my name, but with an ED at the end, tailoredinvestments.co. So definitely check me out there. And if you want to connect, I have a Calendly link on my website or on LinkedIn. So definitely schedule some time with me. Let's connect love to get to know you and hear about your financial goals. So thanks for the time and listening. Yeah. Awesome. And conscious investor, you do know, we talk about this often. You can't have the investments flowing into your inbox, or you can't be ready to invest in Rebecca's offerings or three keys offerings or an arrows offerings. You're not going to be ready to invest in any of those offerings. If you don't book that phone call. And I remember the first time that Steve and I had a phone call with a team, it felt so formal. And it was like, this is so weird. And it was really that first step of us committing to like, oh, wow, we really do want to do this. We really are interested in this. And so I want to encourage you. It's not a scary phone call. It's not going to the doctor. It's actually quite a fun phone call. At least what I have fun phone calls with investors. And I know you well enough, Rebecca, to know that, I mean, we became friends because we were on an initial phone call, just like getting to know each other off LinkedIn. So like, I have no doubt that talking with you an initial call would be absolutely phenomenal. So conscious investor, make sure that you schedule that time. And I'm going to give you a double encouragement. Schedule time with both of us. Some of you still have not popped on my calendar and I don't know what you are waiting for. Remember, I'm not just a voice over here on this side of the screen or the mic. I'm not just somebody in your ears. I'm here creating these podcast episodes to serve and support and empower you in every step that you are taking in your investment journey. So please make sure you pop on my calendar. So you have two calendars, two people, open doors in your life, open that opportunity. Until next time, live big, love bigger, and do great things. What's the big deal about investing in apartments? Why is it better than investing in a slew of single family homes? I've compiled a lot of information on why investing in a multifamily, also known as apartments, will help you reach your investment goals. Head over to threekeysinvestments.com and download the Why Invest in Multifamily Guide today. 